0: Hey everyone, this is David Kern. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. I won't keep you too long, but I did want to say a quick word from our friends over at Duke University's Arite Initiative. This summer, from July 9th through the 14th, they're going to be hosting the High School Summer Seminar on Ethics, Philosophy, and Religion on Duke's campus in Durham, North Carolina. This seminar is going to prepare high school students with a roadmap for approaching those same subjects in college. Using texts from literature, philosophy, and theology, the seminar will examine such topics as the meaning of virtue, the substance of human nature, the question of human flourishing, the metaphysics of reality, and the nature of truth. Students will also discuss the ideas of natural law, the relationship between philosophy and theology, and the relationship between science and religion. The seminar will be co taught by several Duke University instructors and professors. It's open to current high school students entering their junior or senior years. There's no fee associated with applying or attending. Let me repeat that. There is no fee at all for applying or attending. And those admitted will be housed in the Duke dormitories and provided with meal cards. So, again, that's no fee of any kind associated with applying or attending, and it includes lodging and meal cards. Pretty good deal, I think. Students interested in applying should email johnrose at john.rose at duke.edu. That's j-o-h-n dot rose, r-o-s-e at duke.edu. Applications will be considered on a rolling basis until April 26th, 2018. And again, that's john.rose at duke.edu. And with that, enjoy your show.
1: Way back in May of 2001, my friend Joe Brando sent me a text from a 1947 Lutheran school yearbook called 100 Years of Education, and it began with these words. During the latter part of this era, the time-honored custom of conducting school examinations in public was coming into disuse. These schulproofingen were annual affairs to which the parents and others interested were invited on a spec- specified day, usually about the Easter season. On that day, in the presence of the pastor, the school board, the parents, and such others as might be present, the teacher conducted an examination in which the children were questioned in the main branches taught at the school. In some instances, promotion of the children was dependent on the manner of performance on that day of of examination. These public examinations seemed to be the only direct contact that the parents and the public had with the school and the work done there. Now, I read that because I'm answering a question today on Ask Andrew about assessment. Simply put, the question is, how do we assess classically? And you are, I should just mention, welcome to Ask Andrew. I'm Andrew, Andrew Kern with the Circe Institute, and happy to address this question. I want to put it in context. What we've talked about so far is we've talked about the definition of classical education, which I've suggested is the cultivation of wisdom and virtue. The end of it, the goal of classical education is wise and virtuous people. And the means, how do we get to that end? By nourishing the soul and the true, the good and the beautiful. And that's both form and content. My friend Martin Cothran likes to say that you can reduce classical education to the great books and the liberal arts. And you might say that's form and content. Well, I like it. The cultivation of wisdom and virtue by nourishing the soul on the true, the good, and the beautiful by means of the liberal arts so that the student in Christ is better able to know, glorify, and enjoy God. Now, we have talked a little bit about wisdom, what it is how do we cultivate it? We've talked a bit about virtue and how to cultivate that. We've also talked somewhat about the liberal arts, and that is the curriculum of the, of a classical education. And we've talked a bit about pedagogy. And then you'll recall we got sidetracked by one of my favorite guests, my daughter, Katharina Julia Kern, who told us her stories from Africa. And we discussed the universality of classical education. And then... Katie brought us down to earth, you might say. Then Greg Wilbur took us back to heaven, and we talked about the great dance. How does it all fit together? Why is it universal? Well, having talked about the curriculum and about pedagogy, about the goals and about the means, one of the great crises or problems or stresses or tensions that come up is this whole matter of assessment. Okay, fine. Let's say I want to teach the seven liberating arts. Let's say I want to teach my medically and socratically. But how do I assess? How do I assess classically? And I'm going to take more than one session on this, although I have to be very careful. You you remember the approach we're taking here is that we're always working from the the, the caricature to the principles and elements, to the from the vague to the detailed. So I don't wanna I don't wanna use this talk to get into every manner of nuance about assessment. I, I do hope you'll see simple things that you can take from it and maybe even make some improvements or changes right away. But what I want to do instead or focus on instead is is getting a right understanding, um, a right set of goals. And if we can do that, then I think all of our assessment can be improved by that. And so I've listed for this talk, I've listed five or six questions that I think we need to explore if we're going to assess properly. Now, of course, the question is, how do I assess classically? But to me, that's just saying, how do I assess properly? Um, and here are here are the questions. Well, let me let me back up a little bit and get really caricatured again. Ultimately, the goal of assessment is to support your teaching. If it, in any way, hinders your teaching, it's at best ineffective, maybe even foolish. At worst, it's harmful. And let me say that assessment teaches. It teaches your priorities. It teaches your values, and it teaches your um, commitments. So if you assess with an eye to the wrong things, the wrong standards, or um, maybe different standards than what you're teaching your students in a lesson, you will confuse them, and and it will undercut the learning. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about assessment. Here are the questions I want to propose. Question one, what is it for? Question two, what does the specific assessment that you give mean? I'll come back to what I mean by that in just a moment. Third crucial question, what are your standards? In other words, if you say, this is good, or this meets with my approval, against what standard? Or if you say this is 79th percentile, against what standard? What does that mean? Fourth question, having assessed your student, what do you want done about it? Or is it just to make him feel a certain way? Uh, Fifth question, very practical question, how old is your child? And then I'm going to end by asking a question that I'm then going to pursue in the next session, and that is, what makes for a good assessment, given all of that? So let's look at those questions one at a time. First question, what is the assessment for? And I would suggest that there's basically, I don't know, two, three, four things that assessment is done for. I think it's very common to assess for validation, um, if you go, for example, to college and you get a degree in teaching, they, they say that you are certified. You are, you are now a legitimate teacher, I suppose, is what's implied with that. You are validated by getting a degree or by getting a certificate. Um, internal validation can be um, more immediate. This validates that you learned this lesson, that you are good at this topic, this, this skill. So there's validation. The second thing that assessment can be for is practical, the improved performance that 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 seems to be a high priority. Okay, you, you've done this, this thing here, this skill. You have mastered this skill this far, but here's some mistakes you made. Do better on this. Or here's the next thing you have to learn. Okay, good. That's very practical. Improved performance. And because the word perform is there, maybe for other reasons, um, Let's talk about let well, that is often called a formative assessment. i I um I have hesitations about that word, but i won't I won't fuss over them right now. Formative assessment. It helps to form the student or at least the student's skills in the direction you're trying to go. The third kind of assessment is a summative assessment, and this is, in other words, a summary of what's been learned. An example of a formative assessment might be how many. Um, equations a student can calculate in one minute of addition problems, uh, you know, speed drill of an addition, um, because, because then you can see which ones he, he knows and which ones he doesn't know, and you can focus your attention, you can be guided by the assessment to, to correct, to modify your own teaching so that his students, so that your students' performance can improve. An example of a summative assessment might be you finished reading a book and who knows, maybe you'll give them a test uh, to see, do you remember these names? Or you might have them write an essay that, that demonstrates that they understood some key concept in the book, but it's summarizing what's been learned. And basically the summative assessment often um, is used so that you can be done with, with what you're learning and go on to the next thing, file it away and, and say they're checked off the list, but it doesn't have to be. A summative assessment is an extremely valuable uh, mode of assessing something that you want to make sure that they they can summarize right, and and then if they can summarize it well, you can carry it forward. So there's three reasons for assessment: validation, improved performance, and, and or formative assessment, and and summary of what's been learned, or a summative assessment. But I think there's a crucial question that we need to ask uh, about the specific assessment we use, and that question is. Well, what does it mean? You, you read a child's essay, let's say, and you put B on the child's essay. And you're thinking, this was, this was above average. This was a pretty good essay. I, I, I enjoyed this. I like this. I see real, 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 real communication skills being developed in this child. Not perfect, but, but it's good. And all of that thought gets summarized in the letter B. And then the child is given the paper. And the child reads B and doesn't know what you were thinking when you wrote the B on the paper. Now, depending on the age, that child has come to interpret B in any number of different ways. It may be that B means you're not a straight A student. You're, you're, you're not among the smartest kids in this class. Or B might mean, oh, no matter how hard I work, I can't get a good enough grade or b might mean ha i didn't put anything into that still got to be i was easy i don't have to work hard at all or it might be you really don't please me or it might be my friend is smarter than i am and i think it's absolutely crucial to understand that when a child sees that 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 abstract sign on his paper that says b the odds of the child interpreting it to mean what you meant when you wrote it there are, in my opinion, my opinion, I don't know this, but in, the odds are very low that you mean what they understand you to mean. It's a very abstract thing, a B. I, I, I believe that you you could well argue that the A or the B or the C or the D or the F is one of the most pure forms of Modern abstract art. It means what the communicator means to the communicator, and it means what the receiver means to the receiver. It also, if you think about this, if you're in a school setting, what does it mean to the parent? The parent, the teacher means one thing. The student means something else. What does the parent mean? I can remember, for example, when I taught third grade, I would write things on on children's papers, or I would I would, uh, I, would I had a discipline form that that I would um have the kids take home and sign sometimes, and and I meant it literally to say exactly what it said. Your child today did not, you know, measure up in the honor code in this given area because they did this, and it might have been as simple a thing as as I don't know they they kept leaving a mess on their desk when I told them to clean it up, and you know, they, uh, yeah, yeah, who knows some some kind of detail like that. And all I meant was here, you should know this. Maybe remind them, and I would find I found out that. The very fact that I sent home a communication meant that the parent felt this was very serious, very serious. And, and kids would come back, oh, sometimes, oh, gun shy, let's say. You have to ask when you put an assessment on paper, when you record, when you report an assessment to a child, you have to ask yourself not what does what do I mean by this, but what does the child hear? What does it mean to the child? And that brings up the crucial point of standards. I'll come to this later, but a good assessment requires that the standards be known, that that what the child is being assessed for be known ahead of time. What are the standards? What is good? Here I'm going to throw out three key words, which we'll come back to in time as we work on this, but you'll hear me talk about these three words over and over again, because they drive my they drive thinking, in my opinion. They drive all thinking. And if you, if you think well with these concepts, you think well. And if you think badly with these concepts, work on it. That's what I'm trying to do is work on it. And those three concepts are nature, purpose, and propriety. If you're going to draw standards, if you're, if you're going to assess somebody, you have to have standards that are related to the question, what is good? And if you're going to ask what is good what is good work, what is good product, anything like that, you need to ask yourself, what is the nature of the thing I am teaching? Math is different from literature, and therefore, and I, I insist on this, it cannot be taught the same way and it cannot be assessed the same way. Um, the second the second um, concept here, the second idea is purpose. The purpose of math is somewhat different from the purpose of literature, although there's no question that math and literature ultimately are taught to the same purpose, which is wisdom and virtue. But now here you go. If your purpose in teaching is wisdom and virtue, well, how do you assess for that? Hmm. Changes things, doesn't it? And then the third concept is propriety. What is appropriate... Given the nature and the purpose, now consider this, it's not just the nature and the purpose of assessment. It's also the nature and purpose of a child and the nature and purpose of that child and the nature and purpose of the, let's call it subject. But by that, I mean the art or the science that the child is learning. Okay. What is the nature of the child? of the exercise, of the activity. There's a lot of things that need to be taken into consideration, although not by any means an infinite number of things. Um, When you well understand the nature of what's being taught and who it's being taught to and what learning is and where the child is and what your purpose is, then it's much easier to assess appropriately. Propriety, appropriate assessment, is assessment that honors the nature and the purpose of the experience, of all the elements of the experience. Again, basically the elements of the experience are the lesson, the thing to be learned, the child, and assessment itself. So we have to be asking, what are the nature, purpose, and propriety? What what are the nature and purpose of these elements and what's the appropriate way to relate to them? And from those questions, we can derive standards that are useful and appropriate. The next question is, what do you want done about it? Now that you've assessed your child, what do you want done about it? Is it just that you want your child to feel a certain way? Are you hoping that because you gave them a C in math, they'll be motivated to, to go get a B? Well, my suggestion on this would be that that's pretty hit and miss. Because you don't know what they meant, what they, what they hear you saying when you give a C. If, if there's a ki- if there's a kid child who, who's really smart, really good at math, who's accustomed to getting A's and then he gets a C, I guess it's possible that he might go, "Oh wow, I should work harder. I guess that's possible. I consider it um, moderately unlikely. So what do you want done about it? Do you want your child to work harder? Do you want your child to fix something? That's much more practical, isn't it? When you say to a child, work harder, again, what does that mean? Do you mean lose more sleep over this, feel more anxiety? H- how do you work harder in math? How do you work harder in literature? Well, I, I'm not sure that's the best, because saying work harder, that's, that's, a, that's an assessment. You should work harder. But it doesn't teach them how. So you need to make your assessment practical. And that's why I ask the question, what do you want done about it? Do you want them to just feel dumb or smart or average? Do you want them to uh, direct their attention towards something that they've been neglecting? Do you want them to actually do something? If that's the case, the assessment needs to say specifically, what do you want the child to do? Now, having said that, the last question is: How old is your child? Uh, a, a third grader must be assessed very differently from an eleventh grader. For one thing, that third grader still has some of the innocence of childhood. The eleventh grader, if he's been graded on the on the modern modes of assessment for for eleven, twelve years now, he's probably got a pretty cynical attitude toward toward grading, and and might well be suffering under that cynical attitude toward the things graded and the things assessed and. Not just uh, his, his, not just the assessment itself. He might, in other words, he won't think to himself, "Hmm, I love this subject, but the assessment seems inappropriate to it." They don't think that way. Uh, one piece of evidence for the fact that they don't think that way is that we don't think that way, do we, as adults? And we're much more clear on this sort of thing than they are. So there's your questions: What is it for? What does it mean? What are your standards, and what do you want done about it? And how old is your child? Uh, Adjust the assessment to the circumstances. And the last question is, what is a good assessment? And I'm going to pick that up in the next Ask Andrew. Thank you for this very good question, and thank you for joining me. And may the Lord remember you in his kingdom.